Welcome to the Reuniting Science and Spirituality Summit, where you'll discover how science and spirituality work together to expand our capacity for healing and transformation. Share this powerful event with your friends and family, and join our conversation on Facebook at The Shift Network. And now your host, Dr. Shamini Jan. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Reuniting Science and Spirituality Summit with Shift Network. I'm your host, Dr. Shamini Jan, with the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. And I am so pleased to bring to you today Mr. Tim Freak, who is an English philosopher and the author of 35 books that have been translated into more than 15 languages. Tim's passion um, is helping us understand how we can reunite the seemingly disparate worlds of science and spirituality and bring those opposite perspectives together in one evolutionary story of the universe. His latest book, Soul Story, um, really depicts how we can do that. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. It's a real honor. Thank you. You know, Tim, in many different cultures, Eastern, Western cultures alike, this idea that science and spirituality was separate was not always the case, right? So we have examples, for example, from the Hindu tradition, the goddess Saraswati is the embodiment of wisdom, which included arts, science, spirituality, and there are other examples as well. Um, why do you think that we, you know, decided to start separating these as if they were not related in the first place? I think if you go back far enough, all culture is one thing. Um, so, for instance, we now think of theater as completely different to religion, but theater was religion. They 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 came from the same root, and science and uh, religion were very much the same thing. They were about understanding the nature of reality, and even for the early scientists, uh, people like Newton, it's difficult to know whether he's the first scientist or the last magician. He's he's from a different time, but what happened in the in the West in the Enlightenment was a huge differentiation. And I think it was a, a massive step forward because we started asking, we, we brought in rational doubt. So rather than believing we knew the way the world is because it was held, uh, passed down to us by tradition or written in a holy book, we checked it out. We actually looked at the evidence and we began this period of scientific experimentation. And that has led us from where we were to this world we live in now, where I can be talking to you from a completely different country. All of this has happened because of that scientific method. So I think it was, it was really a huge advance. But I don't. I think we're in a different period now. Um, having done that, it feels like look, we differentiated rational science from pre-rational religion, and that was a good thing. But the philosophy which we've got alongside science is this tends to be this reductionism, which means we lose the very things that the deep side of religion, the spiritual side was concerned with, which is probably, well, in my opinion, the most important aspect of human experience. So we're not addressing that now. So what we now need is to develop a rational spirituality that can uh, sit alongside or embrace uh, what science has given us. And to do that, I think we need to change spirituality, and we also need to change the underlying assumptions we make philosophically about science. That's beautiful. I'd love to hear more about this. You know, what does it mean to be a rational spiritualist, for example, or to embark on a path of rational spirituality? Well, you know, rational, when I say rational, all I mean is you believe something for a reason. And, and, and it's a reason which you hold to be a good reason. So for me, um, it is not a good reason to believe something about the nature of reality just because it's written in an old book. 
Um, but it is obviously traditionally in religion. That is a good reason. I mean, Galileo was threatened with torture for questioning what was in the old book. So for me, that's where we, where we, and and also the other thing which marks out the pre-rational is this um, demonization of doubt. So in most religions, doubt is a bad thing. But once you realize that it's doubt that leads to greater knowledge, then doubt becomes a beautiful thing. So a rational spirituality, the next stage of what spirituality needs to be, needs to embrace those basic principles, that you, you're, you're, you're really seeing the, the great mystery. You're open to doubt. You're, you're seeing things in new ways. And, and I think if we can do that, we can form one narrative which brings science and the, the, the real center of spirituality, the deep spirituality that, it, that we don't want to lose. Um, and then we have we've got one one grand narrative uh, which can start to explain our human experience rather than this brokenness at the moment where there's like this hard no science and then this flaky woo woo spirituality. I'm caricaturing that that's often how it's how it's put across. We can actually go, no, no, no. First of all, science needs to be understood in a different way. And spirituality is all is also, you know, this is it, it is a perfectly intellectually robust thing to do to explore ideas that are profoundly spiritual. It's really important what you're saying, because we're seeing this obviously reflected in um, our growing healthcare crisis today. You know, I will say that. So for those of us who, you know, are um, kind of in the trenches doing research on different types of interventions to help solve some of our global health problems, um, we're all too aware of the limitations of reductionism within modern science. So I hear you saying that, you know, our views of spirituality may need to shift from those traditional ways of just believe, 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 don't have doubts, don't have questions, and to, you know, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to question things. It's okay to to seek answers for those questions. And maybe that's a reframing of the way we traditionally see religion, at least. And in the same way, I hear you saying, maybe we need to move beyond this idea that everything resides um, only in the physical and can be reduced to physical processes um, within science. I'm wondering if you can speak more to this idea of moving beyond reductionism into an area that you call emergentism. Yeah, well, the... the 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 great thing is, Shamani, is that science itself actually has moved beyond reductionism. So let's let me try and say what these terms mean, because then everyone's really nice and clear. Reductionism is a philosophical position. It's not science, uh, but it's often assumed that 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 they're the same thing. And an awful lot of scientists are reductionists, even when they don't mean to be. And reductionism basically goes, look, if you want to understand a complex phenomena understand it by looking at its components. So what happens in what's happened in science is that it's become very good at looking at the simplest levels of reality. That's hugely complex, of course, but not compared to the, 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 the more emergent aspects. So they'll look at physics. And because we've come to understand a massive amount about physics now, uh, we the reductionist goes, well, everything's really just physics. So you can tell when someone's being reductionist when you hear the word, it's just. So 
you know, you think you're choosing to say these words, but really it's just atoms bouncing around in a deterministic way and it's all pre-programmed. Or you think you're feel, falling in love, but it's really just chemicals in your body. Or this feel, this experience you're having of being a self, it's really just uh, neurons firing in your brain. Whenever you hear that, it's just, it's reductionist. And I think it's profoundly mistaken. And what's What's happened for a few hundred years now is that science had, has had this extraordinary cosmology of evolution. And the story of evolution is one of emergence of new things. So what we've seen in science is that what started with Wallace and, and Darwin, the idea that all of the natural world had evolved, which is in a beautiful, breathtaking idea, has expanded now over 100 years ago to the idea that the whole universe has evolved, which is a, a mythos of a scope that you know, just, what can you say? I mean, it's an enormous idea. And that story of the evolving universe has been one of continual emergence, so that you've seen the emergence of the physical universe in all of its grandeur. And then from that, you've seen the emergence of primitive forms of life and then complex forms of life. And then you've seen the emergence of consciousness, uh, the senses, so that you've got a form of life that can actually look and listen. And then you've got the emergence of this thing that we're experiencing right now, the psyche, um, where you've got a world of images and ideas and thoughts, which we don't experience as material at all. So and each one of those levels is a new emergent reality, which cannot be reduced to the less emergent. That's the whole point. And a simple way of getting that is, you know, we're sitting here, I'm hoping you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am. But if you were sitting and what was on this chair was just all the chemicals that make up Tim's body, he would not be having this conversation. Because Tim isn't just the chemicals that make up Tim's body. He's actually a lot more than that. And every level of emergence is more than what's gone before. To use a lovely phrase from the philosopher Ken Wilber, it transcends and includes what's gone before. But it, 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 it transcends it and includes it. It's more than. So that, I think, can help us understand uh, why reductionism is wrong. And then my basic thesis, just to complete that story, would be, and we can this can open up a, a lot of different areas to talk about, Shamani, is... The story of evolution that I just laid out for you has gone from basic matter, hydrogen, to life, to psyche. Now, the word psyche is Greek. It means soul. So it's, uncon it's uncontroversial to say that the process of evolution has led from simple matter to non-material soul, this other world of ideas and images that we're experiencing right now and all the time. I think understanding that can heal the split between science and spirituality because science is to, is looks at the sensory world. So it's it's primarily to do with physics and chemistry and then also biology and then spirituality has been very much specialized in looking at the non-sensory world, the world of the imagination, the world of the non-material world we're experiencing. And that has emerged from, I think, and, and evolved from the physical and biological worlds. And so we can see that there is one narrative of emergence, and it includes the areas studied by both science and spirituality.
It's really fascinating. And, you know, what strikes me about this is that there, you know, even just in the last few decades, we've seen some inroads in Western science and medicine to begin to bridge these worlds. So, you know, Tim, as I mentioned to you, I come from an area called psychoneuroimmunology. And that was a term that didn't even exist about 40 or 50 years ago, because the idea that was proposed to Western science at that time, that the mind and the emotions could affect our physiology, was completely laughed at, right? And yeah. what these scientists had in common was an understanding that we're talking about not a just, just, but a both and. We're talking about systems. We're talking about the interconnection between systems and the emergence of what happens when these systems interconnect. And, you know, we're just basically putting concepts and frameworks on a totality of experience, you know, that includes our felt experience, you know, what Chalmers might call qualia, right, which, as you say, is not just reducible to, you know, uh, a lot of different chemicals that are shifting around in our bodies, you know, necessarily causing our felt experience, because all of us have a unique felt experience, right? Um, but really beginning to understand the interconnections between these areas. So it's interesting to me, because coming through uh, the field of psychoneuroimmunology and hearing some of my colleagues, especially those who were up and coming, you know, kind of junior scientists, you can say, or up to mid-level. In the world that we live in, in academia, even though in behind closed doors, we may talk about this kind of work. I mean, and I will say in, in mainstream academia, a lot of this is still being discussed behind closed doors. Psyche, you know, being the kind of core term there in psychoneuroimmunology, um, was still relatively ignored. There was still sort of a movement, you know, not that long ago, and even still today, to apply reductionist thinking to the process, you know, of psychoneuroimmunology. So even when you're looking at interconnected systems, it's easy to just say, you know, to be absolutist in, in the thinking around this. So when we look at what we're learning about evolution, and the role of emergentism in evolution. What role is system science kind of playing in this to help us understand how the universe is evolving, how spirit is evolving, and how these connections between the physical and the soul, you know, are reflecting the totality of our experience? Well, what I want, you see, I'm interested in not just uniting science and spirituality in some sort of, there's easy ways of doing it which are quite common. You know, for instance, spirituality says everything is all one. Well, so does science. And that's a nice, easy place they can meet and go, oh, so they both agree it's all one. And uh, hurrah. And But then there's more difficult ones. Like very central to nearly all forms of spirituality is the idea that you exist as a soul, uh, The that the soul doesn't die when the body dies, is Apps. I mean, if you can't if you can't take that idea from spirituality, then I think you might as well just give up on spirituality, really, because that's a central, absolutely defining idea, um, and that life has meaning. That what happens to us is not just random chance, but that 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 somehow there's a story which has meaning to our existence. Now, if you reduce it just to physics, then obviously none of that can possibly be true. So. Is there a way of understanding it in which that is true? And I think there is. And I think when you talk about systems theory, that's one of the ways into it. See, what I want to suggest is that we need to understand this 10 
uh, 14 uh, billion year process of evolution, having gone through the, 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 the stage of physical evolution and then biological evolution, and then that leading to the, the evolution of psyche or soul. And what I would like to suggest to science, and it's a big thing for them to take, but I, I think it, this will be the future, is that spirituality is right about this, that soul or psyche is not just a byproduct of biology. It is actually a whole domain of reality, which shamans have been exploring for thousands and thousands of years and which anyone can explore with meditation or ayahuasca or we're in it the whole time. Creativity, we're in it now. We're always in it. You know, that's one of the key things to get is that when we talk about body and soul, look, everyone is always experiencing body and soul or body and psyche, you whichever word you like. There's always a flow of sensation and then there's a flow of imagination. That's always there. These two things. And the question is, really, can we just dismiss this world where we're having this conversation right now as merely a kind of an epiphenomena, a byproduct of a piece of meat? Or is it the most emergent level of reality that has taken 14 billion years to, to arrive at? And I want to suggest the second. So what I'm suggesting to science is let's allow at least the possibility that traditional spirituality is right, that this is a whole domain of reality that we're talking about here, that has emerged as part of this evolving system, which starts with physics, but goes through biology, which is much more than physics, and ends up in the world of images, of, of non-material. A non-material reality has emerged from a material reality. That's what I'm suggesting. Mm. And then for spirituality... The big claim I want to make with them is to go, look, you've nearly every single spiritual tradition, for understandable reasons, they're very old, has said that domain of spirit, of soul, is eternal. And we've fallen from it into the material world. The material world's a bad place. We've fallen in it. We're trapped in it. The body's a tomb, Plato says. The East is very much part of the, has this tradition. You're caught in the illusion of Maya. We're, and 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 therefore that life is is seen in this very negative way and that hence all the suffering and your job is to get out of mm. this and so what i want to suggest is look to spirituality no it's much more positive than that this domain is not eternal it has evolved it has evolved from the more primitive or basic or fundamental domains and so we haven't fallen from it we're evolving into it I love it. And, you know, it's just it's such a wonderful framework. And it's so important, as you say, to raise the questions with both our scientific and our spiritual communities. It reminds me of some of the teachings of Sri Aurobindo and the mother. So, Tim, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim, uh, the Sri Aurobindo and the mother. For, for our viewers who aren't, uh, Sri Aurobindo was a philosopher in India in the early 1900s. And the mother came in as his disciple and then also became his co-teacher. And the mother has written extensively about this idea that the divine is coming into the physical. So whereas, you know, for example, in many cultures and including, um, you know, the Vedic and Jan cultures, which I'm, um, you know, from and familiar with, there was, as you say, Tim, you know, this idea that we needed to transcend Maya, that we need to transcend the physical body, that we have to transcend our emotions and all these things. And it led actually to a lot of problems for people because they were repressing their emotions as opposed to working through them and thinking that, you know, instead of the body being a tomb, now we're realizing the body is a temple, 
right? And we have this opportunity, as the mother says, to bring divinity completely into the physical form. And in her writing, she claims that this has never happened before, but this opportunity for human beings to evolve in this way as spiritual beings in the material and, you know, and help literally heal the physical through the spiritual power has honestly not existed up until this time. So it's it's very exciting to consider, and especially when you consider some of the other things that we're learning right now. For example, I was just talking um, with one of our fellow scientists for this particular summit about what we're learning about epigenetics. And he was sharing with us that, you know, they've done these twin studies, for example, where they've looked at one of the twins who went up in space and, of course, compared his epigenetic signaling with his twin brother. And there are some really profound epigenetic shifts that are happening for, you know, this brother that has gone up into space that appear to be, you know, we don't know how permanent it is, but we're looking at it. And he was suggesting, you know, even our, quote, genetics, which we've always seen to be, again, you know, from the reductionist point of view, so solid, so unmalleable, uh, seems to be much more malleable than we thought. And he suggested that perhaps, you know, when we go into space, or whether we're cultivating inner space or going to outer space, that we're actually adjusting our physiology in profound ways that could be permanent. In other words, we could literally be evolving quicker than we think into a different type of species. Now, that sound, that'll sound pretty far out to some of our, you know, scientific community, but I'm wondering what you think about that. Uh, I, I, well, there's a lot in what you just said, a huge amount. Um, I, I mean, firstly, to, to the first point when you, when you said about spirituality, I mean, one of the things, I mean, a lot of my work has been around spiritual traditions and, and how we can understand the, 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 the profound essence uh, in a new way. And one of those things which I'm very moved by is, that, is, is I want to see it endorse our humanity, not deny it, because as you said, so many old spiritual traditions are actually very anti-human. They're anti the emotions, anti our attachments, everything that makes us human, um, rather than seeing us as evolving towards something greater. And I, I, I am much more attracted to this evolutionary picture, which and sees the body as what it is, which is, you know, you said we can see the body as a temple. You know, hey, I, you know, sometimes I want I want to see my body as a nightclub. You know, but it's like you know, my body's the nightclub of the soul as well. It's a place where I can, you know, it be human, and that's all that I want. I think we can find a way of endorsing that. And then what what you're suggesting with the other thing is I'm you know I'm not a biologist. I'm not in a position to really comment on the science, but what I do see. And this goes back to a previous point you made, is that um, the, the it, all these levels of the system affect each other. It's not just one way. It's not just bottom up. It's not like the basic level is the most real and the rest is kind of all an effect. The whole thing is real. And the, and the more emergent levels, the levels that have come later in this great evolutionary drama, then well, not necessarily they're more real, but they're more emergent. And and it goes both ways. So right now, this isn't just biology happening. There's a two-way interface going on. I am in the soul choosing what meaning I want to give. And that intention is making my mouth move and my the breath and, and sending you these messages. So that it's a two-way thing. And then when I hear from you, my ear will vibrate and the messages will come back to me. But what's connecting is something which is not made of matter something which is non-material, which is actually the way we experience it to be. 
It's only a modern prejudice which reduces the psyche to the brain. And unfortunately, a lot of the, the well-meaning um, holism has made, the, has made matters worse because it's wanted to go the brain and, 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 the, and the soul are the same thing or the body and the soul. They're just two aspects of the same thing. And what you do when you do that is you lose this central idea in spirituality, which I think wants to be taken seriously, that, that they're not the same. They're linked. They're absolutely in take, you know, powerfully linked, but they're not the same. And that is why when the body dies, the level of the reality that we're experiencing as non-material is able to sustain itself. And I'd be, I'd be happy to get into, into, into why I think that's possible. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating. So I hear you saying you're not a monist. <laughs> I don't know if you would call yourself a dualist then. Um, but that's, I'm not, yeah, I, that's... I think they're a completely false dichotomy. Because I think what we're in is a paralogical reality. In fact, just I can just see by my by my head, you can just see a yin yang sign on the wall that happens to be on my wall. That is a, a beautiful symbol of why the whole dualist monist dichotomy is a, a red herring. Because the it, the whole the essential idea you get in 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 Taoism is two and one at the same time, and so it's one and two at the same time. That's the, what I call paralogical thinking. Both and you mentioned it earlier, both and thinking. So, look, it's definitely, you know, we need to understand that things can be both. So uh, this this my body has emerged from inanimate matter through the process of evolution, but it is not reducible to it. I mean, one of the things I love is that when I'm with my old friends who I've known for decades is to think there's not a single atom in my body that's the same as when I met them. But it's still the same body, so it's clearly not to do with the physics. It's not to do with the physics of my body. My body is a level of biological information, and one of the one of the things that physics has shown us is that you know a, a good metaphor for what reality is is on a very primitive level is information, because the material world dissolves as you come go further and further into it, and you get down to the quantum level and all of that. So you you end up with well, Niels Bohr famously said atoms should be regarded as poetry. So it's that kind of like you can't, it's not the physical world as we experience it. So that level of information has been evolving and it's evolved into these complex physical forms. It's evolved into biological forms, which transcend and include and are not reducible to physical forms. And then it's given, it's, its information has arisen at this non-physical level which you can call psyche or soul or mind or imagination or whatever the hell you want to call it, but you're experiencing it right now and everyone is. And in that world, there's meaning, which doesn't exist in biology and physics. You know, it's like another little game I think is worth playing is that, you know, when, you, when I'm speaking here, you can see that the, 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 the noises I'm making are just funny noises. The meaning is not in the noises or in the air vibrating. The meaning is in the soul or the psyche. That's another level of emergent reality, but we, it now exists. It's not like meaning's an illusion. Meaning has emerged. So these things which mark out soul, which really define us as human beings, these have emerged on this incredibly emergent level. And because it's information, I think we can, we can at least make credible the idea that uh, that level of information is not dependent upon the biological level. And that's the fundamental central claim of spirituality and, of course, of the near-death experience and of centuries of uh, spiritual teachings that there are the, the, this realm that we're experiencing now 
um, is one in which we can survive the death of the body. And I think that's a very interesting thing to explore. Yeah, absolutely interesting to explore. And as you say, um, you know, meaning is not just simply fundamental to human experience, but extremely important to, you know, our survival, um, to our thriving, to us living the life that we want to see. And so tell us a little bit more about this. You know, some of the things that uh, that you suggest, which I think will really resonate here with everyone that's viewing, is that, you know, sometimes uh, mainstream folks will say, oh, you know, when you experience these coincidences, they're just coincidences. When you get these intuitive hits, you know, that's interesting, but uh, that could just be your subconscious or, you know, your conditioning and things like that. But tell us a little bit more about how important you view these experiences to be and how can we cultivate more of those experiences? How can we determine, you know, a sense of meaning, you know, versus a sense of fear? So the, the whole paradox for me, Shamani, in my life, and essentially I'm a philosopher because I want to understand this strange experience I'm having is that on the one hand, it's very causal and cause and effect. I drop something, it falls. I drop it, it falls. I drop it, it falls. And then on the other hand, I've experienced so many moments of magic, of moments when life has those synchronicities, which are so big and so important that they're significant. And I'd say that's true, I think, of every single person I know well. So that's a lot of people. And so my feeling is, look, I can't dismiss these. I need to understand how can I live in a world which on the one hand is very cause and effect and on the other hand is more like a dream? How can it be both? And what I want to suggest, and it's, and it's radical, but then, you know, so was Einstein. I'm not comparing myself, but you know what I mean? Where there's big jumps which are radical. I want to suggest that this information, this evolving information of the universe, has, a, has, a, has gone from hydrogen to psyche, which is really story. So the universe has become a story, which is why we experience ourselves as, as stories, which is why when we meet, we go, you know, what's your story? What's happening? And that, that level of reality interacts with the other levels. So a, a little analogy, because we live in the computer age, is you know, I play computer games with my son, and on a basic level, that's just ones and zeros. It's very basic information, but it's become so complicated that it's given forth into a story. And I don't think about the ones and zeros at all. I just get into the story, and that's the whole point. Now, another, another analogy, you can get this perhaps an easier one, is a film. So one of, one of the things which reductionism does, is, it feels, is it's like giving someone a DVD of a movie and saying, hey, what do you make of this? And then the person coming back and going, yeah, yeah, I looked at it, and it's digital information on a disc. That's what reductionist science is doing. Whereas really, you want, yeah, 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 I know, I know that, but what did you make of the story? So what science does is it can't interact with our actual human experience, which is life is this amazing story. And what that does is it cuts us off from the area that spirituality is involved in, which is understanding the story, going deeper into the story, transforming the story, all of that. So I, I want to suggest we understand that this, this evolving information has gone from primitive matter into story, like in a computer game or something like that, and that all those levels interact. And that means that the story level, the dream level, if you like, is interacting with this physical level, uh, not just one, not just the other way around. 
And I think that's why it's the the physical level is what's making its very cause and effect. And then occasionally you get those glitches in the matrix where suddenly the meaning becomes so outrageous, you kind of notice, oh, okay, there's something going on here. So what I'm suggesting is um, my actual experience sitting here with you now is that I am in a physical causal reality and a meaningful dream reality at the same time. It's always like that. That's the experience of body and psyche. And I'm suggesting those are complete realms of uh, not just my experience, but of reality. And they're interacting with each other now, as I speak, and they're interacting collectively in the way that we experience the story of life. And the story, of course, being connected with soul experience and the ability to transform our stories. I, I would suggest that the story could be informed, right, by both, by cause and effect and by soul nature, it's both. if we want to call and, it and that, right? So It's completely yeah. that. That's the key, yeah. is, that, is that as the new levels emerge, they transcend and include what's been before. They don't, they don't you know, you don't lose anything. You actually, you actually, in fact, you don't lose anything at all. I mean, that, that, it, I mean, maybe, maybe I should just throw in here a kind of a, a central idea for me, Shimani, which is about time, um, because that kind of underlies how I think this is working, which is, it feels like we need to, we, we need to question our analogy about time. We have this analogy that time passes and I want to suggest in an important way, it doesn't pass. But actually what's happening is that the past is accumulating so that so that time accumulates. It doesn't pass. There's more of the past now than there was when we started this conversation. And this moment contains within it all of that past. Every moment contains within it everything that's happened before. Everything. If, if, if in this moment is me being invited to take part in this summit, you being invited, um, us growing up, learning to speak English, uh, the development of the internet, the evolution of human bodies, the, the, the birth of the sun, the birth of the universe. Everything is inherent in this moment. So it hasn't gone anywhere. It's implicitly here. Uh, to use a lovely phrase from, from Rupert Sheldrake, the past is present. So that what's happened for 13.8 billion years of evolution is that things have come into greater and greater form. They've, the information has taken on more and more emergent forms. And through that, and that's happened because there's more and more of it the whole time. So there's a tendency towards evolution and greater emergence. And that process has also been creative. So I think we can say that each moment is the meeting or the coexistence of everything that has been and everything that could be the past and the possible, and that, that, that what we're in here, what, a, a possible definition, my, my working hypothesis for what this is that we're in, is that this is the realization of potentiality in ever more emergent ways. And that started with very simple things 13.8 billion years ago. And then as the past has accumulated, it's become richer and deeper and richer and deeper. And each moment is realizing a new possibility that's never existed before based on everything, based on and including everything that's happened previously. And that what we, that my working hypothesis to, to bring science and spirituality together is what existence is, is the realization of potentiality in ever more emergent ways. And the more emergent ways, the most emergent ways so far are what spirituality is concerned with, the realm of soul. 
I love it. So tell us, you know, for those that are watching at home, how do we deepen our experience of pure potentiality, right? So that we can clear the past, which comes with us to the present, re reduce the influence of the cause and effect from, you know, even our ancestry. We had some very fascinating conversations about that. As you know, in many different cultures, we have these practices of healing our ancestors, healing our ancestry, because we are bringing the past with us up to the present. And we're also, you know, the realm of possibilities into the future. Everything exists in the moment, as you say, past, present, future, all exist now, right? And diving into the soul, or what one might call the soul consciousness, the expanded soul, the one, oneness, all of these things, all of these different terms that people have used, help us to more fully experience, you know, potentiality and alter, if, if needed, the trajectory of our story, right? It's profoundly important what you're saying, Tim, because what we're coming to is the profound power that we have as human beings to expand our stories in any way that we see fit. So, any tips for our audience here on, you know, how to best do that? How do we more fully experience our soul selves in the physical and, you know, and enjoy our bodies, as you say, as this divine playground, right? That, you know, can be a nightclub, can be a temple, can be anything we want it to be, right? And still maintain our connection with, with soul in the material world. Yes, it, it, beautiful, because, of course, at the end of the day, what matters is how you can apply these philosophical ideas. So there's a whole load of things. Um, let me choose some. Um, one of the things I love about this idea of that time is it means that, what, is that it means that you and I are made of time. It means everything is. Everything's a process. There's no things. Everything's a process. Everything exists as the accumulation of the past. So you're meeting now everything that Tim has ever been, and I'm meeting everything that you have ever been. And that's what we are. That's what makes us, us. So in a way, I'm saying you don't have a life. You are your life. You don't have a story. You are your story. That's what you are. That's what makes you individual. And it's a, an evolving story. And then what you're pointing to is something I call pastivity. The fact that the past is like gravity. It keeps things the same. Um, the, the, right back from the two centuries ago, there's been a, the philosophers, especially in America, talking about, look, everything we call the, the, the laws of nature are really the habits of nature. Everything is a habit, which is repeating, and then in a creative way. And I'm a habit. Um, you know, I speak in this way because I was born in England in the West Country. That's my habit. Uh, and generally, that's fine. So some habits serve me. In fact, habits are great. Like me, me knowing how to speak is a habit. Understanding anything is a habit. Wonderful. But also, like gravity, they can hold you back. And that's where it feels like we, we need to reach towards the more emergent. So there's two things in there. One is, is going, look, if, if everything is the realization of potentiality in more emergent ways, we can talk about the purpose of existence, not, not as something that the existence has, but really as something which is inherent in, in its very nature. If existence is the realization of potentiality, then then our purpose is to realize more emergent potentials. That's what we and that's why when we do that, when we when we become more, it feels so good. And what's the most emergent potential we could we could possibly do right now? Well, I think something brand new is happening. I think what's happening is that we're evolving, not, not, not biologically, that's happening, but slow. We're evolving as soul. 
And we're moving from what I call individuals to univigils. And it's a word I've coined because it feels we need one. And what I mean by univigil is a individual who is conscious of being one with the universe, with unity. And I think this is bursting out everywhere. We've never lived in a time historically where there is so much compassion in the world. People genuinely care about people on the other side of the planet. Why? Why do they do that? It's never happened before in the whole of history, but they do. They care about endangered species, even species like tigers and polar bears that rip them to shreds. We care. Why do we care? That's cross-species compassion. We take it for granted. It's a huge new thing. These are things that happened over the last really big, the last few decades. And I think there's signs of this, this, this growth into individuation. And the biggest, most important, still small, but important, is the number of people who are having profound mystical or spiritual experiences of being one with the whole universe, which when I started teaching about this 20 years ago, uh, was very rare, but I have to tell you, it's not now. I'm, I'm astonished by how many people know what that is. So I think the way we can apply this is to take our attention and focus on the most emergent thing in ourselves, which means not just the rep repetition that goes round and round and round, but the new way in which we can take all of that. You, you can't leave it behind, but you can transform it. You can, you can turn it into something new all the time. And work towards this, this, this moving from individuals into individuals. I love it. I just, I love the term individuals, univi individuality. <laughs> it's <laughs> nice, it's isn't so, it? Yeah. And so eloquently stated, Tim, you know, that, uh, things that we might even take for granted as part of the human experience is actually, you know, that is uh, becoming more and more to the forefront. So, you know, as we learn more about what's happening in our world, um, some of the issues that we're facing that we have to come together, right, um, to yeah. help solve. The compassion is springing forth from us like never before because we are individuals. We are. Um, and we're coming closer and closer to realizing that. Uh, you know, some things that I have found to be helpful in, in kind of tapping into individuality um, include, you know, the respecting of time and space to tap into those aspects. So even taking, you know, time in silence or just for a few moments. And, you know, there's so many practices, as you know, you know, age old practices, new practices, all kinds of practices that help us to really take that. But it does, I would say, take a little bit of dedicated time and space to be able to deepen that experience because we are living in a very bouncy cause and effect, you know, world. So it's very easy for us to get caught up in that, right? And forget uh, to have that sacred time and space uh, to more deeply connect with our true essence. Would you agree with that? Oh, goodness me, I would agree with it so much. You know, my, most of my life has been spent exploring what I call the deep awake state, the, the, the central state of awakening in spirituality. That's, that's been my passion. I'm speaking to you here as a philosopher, as a cosmologist, as you uh, said earlier. That's true. I'm interested because it feels like for this, for, the, for this unividuation, for us to become individuals, we need to shift the dominant, the dominant story. And the dominant story is definitely reductionist science right now. That's the that's in is certainly in the intellectual mainstream. Perhaps in the world generally, it's still pre-rational religion. But we need to move it onto something greater. That's hence all of this philosophy which I'm doing. But central to that, the most important thing is actually the experience of the more 
emergent state, which is this what I call a deep awake state that of, of, of an experience that I am an individual, but through the individual, the universe has become conscious of itself. Um, and that is this enormous experience of, of love, really. You know, it's love because love is how the oneness feels to the bo- in the body, to the soul. It feels like love because that, that feeling of deep connectedness. So what I do, I mean, I, I, I spend a lot of time working with people to share this, this deep awake experience. And the most powerful practice that I have found is connection. So what I will do is not just get people meditating on their own, but actually doing things like gazing or listening to each other. Gazing is a great one because we're doing it now. And to simply sit with somebody and see, oh, this is interesting because I see a face, but what I connect with, I can't see it. What I'm connecting with is soul. I'm connecting with soul. Another, uh, uh, this non-material level of existence is connecting with another non-material level of existence through looking. And then if you sit with that really deeply and you can see, oh, hang on, behind the scenes, as it were, it's the, we are the universe. So the universe is looking at itself through the, the one is seeing the one by arising as two. And that's where these very profound states of unity and what I call big love start to just arise quite spontaneously. And that, to me, is the cutting edge of evolution. That is where all of this is going. The, the universe has, is going through this whole process in which it's coming to know itself. And it can come to know itself in this deep, profound way through us when we see, oh, we are the universe. And the, and the most profound way is when we see it in each other. And there's this enormous love. I love it. So it's not I am the universe. It's not you are the universe. It is we are the universe. So beautifully put, Tim. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's just it's been a pleasure to get to know you and to hear, you know, your perspective on, you know, what is probably the most important topic for humans today, which is experiencing our universality and our connection, our deep connection with each other and with other species on the planet. I want to thank you so much for your time today. And tell us, um, you know, for our viewers, how can we learn more about you and your work? Uh, well, the best and simplest thing is to go to my website, timfreak.com. Uh, I have a very funny name. It is actually pronounced freak, but it's spelt F-R-E-K-E. It's an old English name. So the great thing about having a funny name is if you Google me, you'll find me. And uh, on YouTube, as you would expect, there's lots and lots of talks. And uh, my latest TED talk is worth checking out, which is on this uh, at TEDx Berkeley. I'm, I'm having a great conversations with some of the top um, thinkers, I think, on the planet, people like Rupert Sheldrake, Ian McGilchrist, Ken Wilber, which are being released at the moment. Uh, so, I, 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 yeah, please come along and stay in touch uh, because I want to, um, I want to, to, to see how we can develop this this new worldview, which I've been been sharing with you, and 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 then as well as that, you know, my own absolutely delight is to get together with people in person, which I'm going to be doing soon in the UK in an amazing old, um, old country house and so forth. I come to the US to do it occasionally as well and actually experience this, uh, this, this unividuality. This, and, 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 and that's the key thing is that it's not just an understanding. It's a direct experience. The understanding matters, but not as much as the love. 
You need, you need to root yourself, I feel, in the actual experience of oneness and love. And if I've, if I've learned anything from the last 20 years of working with people is that it, it is open to anyone. And it's right there. I would, you know, it's we can experience this for ourselves very, very quickly. It's absolutely there for us now. So the, the two things we need to do, because it's a both and universe, is we need to deepen our experience of the most emergent levels and we need a better story. We need to go deeper into the mystery, and then we need to tell a better narrative about the sto- about the about the universe. And those are the two things which I I hope I might be able to offer. Oh, thank you, Tim. Sounds amazing, and uh, it sounds like a lot of fun as well. So yeah, it is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's key. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again. It's really been a pleasure, and uh, wishing you well with all of the work that you do and all of the indiv- individuals and. Uh, the uh, the community that you empower. Great, so. great, thank you. Yes, indeed, and and so wonderful to be a part of a, a summit like this. I feel like this this topic is is could not be more important right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank you so much, Tim. Take good care. Thank you for joining us for the Reuniting Science and Spirituality Summit, brought to you by the Shift Network. You can add every teaching and transcript to your personal library by visiting reunitingscienceandspirituality.com slash upgrade. To learn more about awakening to your full potential and together co-creating a world that works for all, visit theshiftnetwork.com.